listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. We base what we think is going to happen in the future, we base our, the actions of today on what is going to happen in the future. Now, we're hoping for certain things, and we're going to base our decisions on those things. We're also scared of what may happen in the future, and so we base our decisions on those things. So, for instance, if you know it's going to rain at night, you're going to go double-check and make sure your windows are up. You ever wake up in the middle of the night, and it's storming, and you have this, oh, man, is my sunroof closed? Are my windows up? You know, like, I, I got to make sure. Anybody there? I'm, all the time. I owned a house um, several years ago o- over in Fayetteville, and the basement leaked. And now whenever it rains, I've got PTSD from that because I'm thinking, man, is that basement still leaking? And I haven't lived there for years and years. And the same is true if we think a, a stock is going to rise in the future. What are we going to do? We want to go buy that stock while it's low. That way we can sell it when it's high. Like we all understand this principle and we see this. And so even for some of us, we're like, man, who would have thought years ago that we would have uh, people bringing us food to our homes? Used to, it was like, man, that's either super rich, like crazy people, or it's just like, man, that dude is lazy. But now we do it all the time. Even like five or six years ago, let's say 10 years ago, who would have thought that you would have said, hey, yeah, my wife needs to go somewhere, so she's out of town, or she's in a different city. Why don't you just call a, a stranger and go jump in that stranger's car, and they'll drive you to where you need to go. But now we do that all the time. It's just normal for us. But I would have loved to have invested in Uber 10 years ago, whenever they started, because now I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> I'd be living in Costa Rica. Like, it'd be amazing, Right? Who would have thought that now we'd be working on uh, these submarine electric cars, these, these electric 18-wheelers, much less just an electric car? But it's like, man, I wish I would have invested in Tesla 10 years ago. I wish I would have bit, bought Bitcoin. Anybody there? I remember, you know, crazy French folks were telling me about Bitcoin years ago. And they're like, I, I heard about this thing on this uh, website called Reddit, you know. And they sent it to my Juno account. And, and remember that? And it was like, Bitcoin? What do you, this, there's no even real money behind Like, I don't even know. How do you mine this on my computer? And I'm like, I, that, that doesn't make sense. So I bought some a couple years ago. And then it tanked, you know. Um, but, but I still, I'm hanging on to it because I'm hoping that that $24 that I have on my Coinbase account is one day going to be worth $24 million, right? Because that's what the future is going to hold. But if we knew, if you knew the future, and I even watched documentaries on Bitcoin, and I thought, man, these guys are quacks, you know? This is like a flat earth documentary, no offense. But I'm, I'm like, this is, this is wild. So when we look at the passage today, Luke is telling us, hey, there are some things that are going to happen in the future, and these things are for certain. We know for sure that these things are going to happen And it must affect the way that we live our lives today. It must. Psalm chapter 119, we put this up on the screen. Repeat these words after me. May this be our prayer this morning. May this be true of us. Open my eyes that I might receive God's wonderful word to me. That's our prayer. So last week we answered the question, what is the good life? What is the good life from Luke chapter 12? 
in verses, uh, starting in verse number 13. Today, I want to answer the question, what, how are we to live the good life? So not what does the good life look like, but how are we to step in and to engage with the good life? So we'll pick up in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 35, and, and Caleb just read this for us. But if you look there, he says first, and we see uh, six or seven ways that we can be ready. Like, how are we to live the good life? The first way is this. It's with anticipation. Notice he says in verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Uh, another way that you could say this is literally to keep your loins gird. And so they would wear these long flowing uh, tunics, these what look like dresses for us. But when they would go into battle, they would have to pull those things up. Or when you would go run, maybe you've seen pictures of this, they would have to hike that thing up and then tie them off with a belt. So that way you can be nimble, you can be agile, you can move, you can fight, you can go a lot faster. Otherwise, you're stumbling around. So here Luke is saying, be ready, stay dressed, ready for action. Have your boots on, have your sleeves rolled up. Like you're ready for this, you're anticipating this. He says, keep your lamps burning. Now what would happen is when it was bedtime, what do we do with our lights? We turn them off hopefully, uh, most of them in the house. And here he's saying, instead of turn, putting that lamp out, he says, let it keep burning all night. And the only reason that you would do that is if somebody is up, somebody is awake, somebody is ready. This is like Motel 6. They're going to keep the light on for you. So he's saying, be ready night or day when, sh- when someone is going to show up. He says, and here's why. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Now, the wedding feast that this guy was at, it, he, it may have lasted days. It may have lasted weeks. The servants didn't know. And it's not like on the way back home, uh, the master can jump in the Uber and say, hey, servants, I'm on my way back. They didn't have text or email. So the, the servants are supposed to be standing there day and night, 24-7, always ready, like this kid. Look at all those badges. He just became an Eagle Scout, and he's ready. He's ready for anything. So he says, be ready so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So he says, first of all, how are we to live this good life is, first of all, with anticipation. But secondly, we get to verse number 37, and we are to live this good life awake. We are to be awake like Waffle House is 24-7. He says, verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And that word blessed right there, it means happy. Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2 and verse 13, and he says, our blessed hope is when Christ returns. So he says, happy is the man, blessed is the man who is looking for the second return of Christ, the return of his master. And then he says, truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. He uses that word truly. It means this is going to happen. And he uses it a couple of times throughout this passage. He says, this is certain. You can bank on it. And here's what's going to happen. If, if those servants are being faithful to their task, when the servant arrives, sorry, when the master arrives, what does the master do? He says, man, thank you all so much. Now I'm going to reward you. Go sit at my table. I'm going to come and serve you because you have been faithful with the task that you were given. I know for me sometimes I think, and I've been hearing about this since, since the 80s, Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back real soon. We can go back and read First and Second Thessalonians. What was the church thinking even then 2,000 years ago? They were like, man, when's Jesus coming back? And we sit back and we're like, bro, he had just left. <laughs> like some of y'all even probably saw him. Like chill. We have several more centuries to go before Jesus is coming back on his white horse, you know, in Revelation. And so for many of us, we're like, man, 
is Jesus really coming back soon? Is he really? I've been around for 37 years, pushing 38. I know. Don't look a day over like 32. But like, I'm, I'm pushing. I'm like, is he really? And here Luke is saying, don't grow weary in looking for the second return of Christ. He's saying, don't grow cynical in looking for that master to come home. He's saying, stay up 24-7, day and night, because we are going to be rewarded for our vigilance. So stay awake, stay ready. And then verse number 39, he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you did not expect. So we, we are to live this life with anticipation. We are to live this life awake. And we are to live this life in what we call the already, not yet. For the theologians in the room, or if you just like big words, this is what we call the inaugurated eschatology. It means that Jesus Christ came the first time, he was born, he lived the perfect life, he died for us, he was put on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended, and that was the beginning of his kingdom. In other words, the, the kingdom that is going to last forever has already been started. So the end has begun, but it has not yet been completed. And so we right here in this already not yet, we can look back and say, okay, this is what happened. But essentially we're looking forward with most of our lives saying Christ is coming back again. And Christ's return is a for certain event at an uncertain moment. So we know for certain that it is going to happen, but we don't exactly know when. My generation, we were scared to death of Nikolai Carpathia. Anybody remember him? Some of you are like, man, that rings, that rings a bell, like a left-behind bell. Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, or somebody Jenkins. I don't know, Jerry Stackhouse. Like, I think it was Jerry, Jerry Jenkins. And I met Tim LaHaye when I was in Israel years ago. But it was like, man, we're scared. And, you know, there's, there's a devil under every rock. And uh, it's like, oh, man, this, this person's going to be in, in power. And, you know, when the Democrats get elected, that means the end has really started, Right? And then the Democrats would say, well, look at Ronald Reagan, all three of his names. You know, it has six letters. And so 666 and his address before he was president, his address was 666. And he actually changed his address. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't, I don't even know who to believe now. All I know is the end is about to be here. And we were scared to death. On the flip side of that, now we're like, man, second coming. Ah, man, that's so 90s, <laughs> you know. Second coming, that's what we used to worry about. Look at our lives now. It's fantastic. And so I think we've lost, I know that we have lost that urgency, that sense of anticipation, that already, not yet, looking forward to Christ coming back. Revelation chapter 16, verse number 15, it says this right here. It says, behold, I am coming like a thief. Same language that Jesus used right here in Luke chapter 12. He said, blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Now, can I just tell you, friend, this is just good sense for any time of the day, for any time of the week, especially if you're going to see me or anyone else. Just keep your clothes on. You could build a theology around this if you want to, but I would just take this at face value and say, just hey, put it on your coffee mug in the morning as a reminder. I don't know what you're going to do. But the, but the point of this is not the fact that Jesus is going to come like a thief and steal all of your stuff. It's not like, who? Oh, watch out for Jesus. He's coming to get you. Man, Jesus, is a, no. 
Jesus doesn't need his stuff back. It's all his in the first place. The point of Revelation 16, the point of what Luke is saying here and what Christ is saying is that we're not going to know. The point is surprise. He's saying, don't be surprised that Jesus is coming back. He says, for the Son of Man is coming back in an hour that you did not expect. The Son of Man is a reference to the Old Testament. Where David says, uh, or Daniel says, this son of man is the one who is going to be coming. And Jesus here is speaking in the third person. There are 318 references in the scriptures to Jesus' second coming. That's a lot. I think we often skip over those. We, we know the ones about the first coming because we have this entire celebration for Jesus' birth and Santa Claus and what he can bring us. And so we're like, oh yeah, Jesus came the first time. And we do a, a yearly sermon series around it. And we celebrate Jesus' first coming. The number of verses that talk about his first coming are actually extraordinarily outnumbered by the verses that talk about Jesus' second coming to a ratio of eight to one. There are eight times the number of verses that talk about Jesus' second coming as the ones that talk about his first. In fact, out of every 18 verses in the Bible, there's one that talks about Jesus' second coming. That's a lot. And so when Jesus says here, the Son of Man is coming back, He's saying, this is for certain. This is a primary focus of these scriptures. So Jesus is saying, be ready. You're not going to know when this is going to happen. It is only by thinking clearly. Listen to this. It is only by thinking clearly about the future that we can live wisely in the present. It is only by thinking clearly about the future that we can live wisely in the present. We are to live with anticipation, awake in the middle of this already not yet. For many of us, I know this, we try to guess Christ's second return and we we try to put these numbers together in these dates. And my guess is that whenever Jesus is like, and Jesus doesn't even know he's coming back. He's sitting there at the right hand of the father saying, father, can I go now? And God, the father's like, no. That guy guessed that's when you're going to come back. So we're not going to do it then, just to prove him wrong. That's, I'm sure that's somewhere in Revelation. That's what one of those things means. But if I had, I think this, if, if I had the time that Christ was going to come back, then I would be ready. Anybody there? If I knew when I was going to die, I would wait till the last minute and then surrender my life, my last five minutes of life to Christ. You there? But Jesus is saying, it's like uh, the old game of musical chairs. Remember musical chairs? If you had 10 people, you had nine chairs. If you were an overachiever, you may have had eight chairs, right? Uh, If you really wanted some fights. But there were fewer chairs than the number of folks walking around in the circle. And you weren't just strolling around like this. You weren't just, no, what were you doing? You were eyeballing those chairs. You were living with this, you heard the music playing, and you were living with anticipation, ready to pounce on that chair, no matter the cost, to man, woman, boy or girl, child around you because you wanted to win, but you wanted to pounce on that chair. And Jesus is saying, you don't know when the music's going to stop. He says, get ready to pounce. Be ready 24 hours a day. Have your loins girded up. Be dressed, ready for action. I'm coming back. And then in verse number 41, we see how this passage turns slightly, and Jesus says, to live at attention, to live at attention. You're like, what does Robert De Niro have to do with this? Or a younger version of my dad who looks like that. But in verse number 41, notice what Peter says. 
He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? Or sorry, for us or for all? In other words, he's saying, you talking to me? Are you talking to me here? Peter's like, I, I need to know if I need to be ready or if somebody else needs to be ready. Essentially, he's saying, man, I, I, I'm following you, Jesus. Are there two different types of disciples? Is it like the, the really spiritual ones, the really ready disciples? And then there's the not-so-ready disciples. If that's the case, I'm okay with being a disciple, just the not-so-ready ones, but at least I get in. Or is he saying the, the division here is between those who are disciples following Christ, who call themselves Christians and live like Christians, and those who are not. So Peter is saying, and I love Peter. <laughs> you know, sometimes he's got this terrible disease of, of foot and mouth, and I'm like, I like this guy. That's us. Because we're sitting here thinking, man, do I have to live like this? Do I have to live ready? And Jesus doesn't really answer his question. And we see Jesus doing this. He just kind of talks over. He, we saw it last week. This guy comes up, Jesus, settle this debate for me. And Jesus is like, I'm not here to settle your debate, but I'll do you one better. There's a rich fool, right? Jesus does the same thing here. Peter's like, who are you talking to? Luke's point in this is that if, if you want to skip over this passage, and if you think this passage is for somebody else, or if you think it's not of grave importance, is that passage... Is that part of the Bible really for me? With all of its warnings of judgment, then this passage is exactly for you. If you have not considered this in days or weeks or hours or maybe even years, you're like, I haven't really thought about Christ's return in a long time. I haven't really considered that. Then friend, this passage is for you. This passage is for me. He says, live at attention. In the verse number 42, notice how Jesus responds. Jesus says, you should live with assurance. Again, he uses this word, truly. There's no doubt about it. Verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. Here's how Jesus responds to Peter. He says, following Jesus is more than just lip service. Following Jesus requires a change of life. Because we didn't say, how are we to know good theology? It's how are we to live the good life? The mark that distinguishes a true disciple and follower of Jesus is that not just of trust, with your head and saying, yeah, yeah, I trust in Jesus. But it's one of action. It's one of obedience. We said this last week. What we believe is going to affect and determine how we behave. And Jesus is saying here, you, you, you've got to have both. We've already seen that from the good heart, there's going to be good produced. We saw it in Luke chapter 6. And from the bad heart, there's going to be no fruit produced. Jesus talked about it in the parable of the four soils. And we said that, man, we really relate as a church, as, a, as the American church, as South Point here in McDonough, that we really relate to that one where there's quick growth, but the ground is kind of stony. And so when things become difficult, they're like, ah, man, I, our roots weren't really deep. And so there's not a ton of fruit. But here Jesus says, you can live with assurance that I am coming back. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but you must be a doer. Now, notice what I'm not saying to you. I'm not saying 
begin with obedience. I'm not saying just do. I'm not saying on the outside look this way. Again, the issue is, has your heart been transformed by Jesus Christ? Is your trust, is your hope only in him? And if it is, your life is going to be affected. But we can look at our lives and say, man, what is the status of my heart? We keep going. Jesus says in verse number 45 that we are to live with alertness. But if that servant says to him, Ah, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to, eat and to eat and drink. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour that he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Folks are like, you know what, man? I don't really care for the God of the Old Testament. He's, he's kind of savage. I, I love this Jesus in the New Testament who is just love and he's just walking around just blowing out kisses and waving at people. They must have skipped over this passage and probably a few more, but at least this one. And then he says, verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will did not get ready or act according to his will. He will receive a severe beating. He says to live with this alertness. We were in LOJ a couple weeks ago and there they have a, a Sasquatch museum. Now, some folks, you're like, hey, bro, you're about, to, you're about to go into meddling. Like, I get it. But do you ever see these videos on, on social media, or on, on the interwebs, where you're like, oh, man, that might be the Sasquatch. Ah, man, I don't know. I don't know. And some of you are like, I'm not even going to watch those videos. That's, it's ridiculous. They've never found one. Yeah, but once they die, they eat their own. That's why there's, oh, man, that's a good point. <laughs> For many of us, Jesus is saying here, so often we have to see it to believe it, right? And so it's almost, we take this whole conspiracy theory of Sasquatch and aliens and UFOs and um, the same person who murdered, you know, Lincoln, murdered Kennedy because their secretaries had the same, you know, like all this different crazy stuff. And did we really land on the moon or is, or is the earth flat or is the moon just a giant, you know, camera that's looking at us? Or do we live in the matrix? Is life even real? You know, and then Jesus is coming back again. Like we lump all these things over here because we haven't seen them. Jesus is saying here, no, 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 I'm coming back. I don't care if you believe in Sasquatch or not. I really don't. Because it's not going to affect the eternity of your soul. But we know for sure that the master of the house is returning. And there are going to be two options. Either reward or rejection by that master. So Peter asked this question, Jesus, who are you talking to here? Jesus never says for sure, here's who I'm talking to. But we know this, when Jesus is speaking, these words are for us. Luke wrote these words down. I think he's speaking here to those who would profess faith in Jesus Christ. There are many who I believe in Jesus. There are many who show up on Sundays at this church, at churches in this area, across the nation, across the world, who are like, yeah, man, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to go do that. But are we living with this alertness where we're actually following the commands of Jesus? We can't think that we are servants of Christ without actually doing Christ's work. You see, these servants were there in the house of the master. And you're like, so what does that mean? Are they actually in heaven or are they not? Man, I, 
I, I don't know. If, like, this is, it just, it's just kind of crazy. G- Jesus is just like, boom, drop the mic and then walks off. And the disciples are like, ah, we don't know what's going on. But the point of this is not to dissect every single little piece. The point is to remain faithful. Are we ready for Christ's return? These servants were not. If you claim that you are in the kingdom and you are not living like you are in the kingdom, then you are going to be chopped up. That's what Christ says. You're like, hey, man, uh, I thought we wanted to like set out more chairs. Like, I thought we wanted more folks coming in here. Like, look how beautiful the weather is. Can't, wouldn't that be nice? Listen, man, this isn't, this isn't going to sell tickets. <laughs> Jesus wasn't looking for an audience. He wasn't trying to draw people in. He wanted folks to be faithful. He says, this is what a faithful and a wise steward, those who know the will of God, not those who know the exact day and time. The last verse that we're going to look at here is verse number 48. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. When I read this passage, I thought to myself, man, I hope I'm the one who doesn't know. I'm the, I hope I'm the one who doesn't know the will of God. And that way, if I am messing up, like if, if, I, if, if I am screwing up, like I want the light beating. I don't want the heavy beating. Here's the unfortunate reality for many, is that we do know the will of the Father. We do know it. It's written right here in the pages of Scripture. Right before Jesus ascends up, what does he tell his disciples? He says, go forward, make more disciples, go plant churches, go evangelize the lost. I've just begun this mission. Go, continue, keep doing that. We know the will of the Father. And so if you're like, man, which one of these am I? Do I want the light beating or do I want the heavy beating? Just know, if you're asking that question, the, the question is not, oh, man, I, don't, I don't know which, one, which, which bad servant, servant am I. The question is, do you know the will of God? And if we do, we are to be obeying that. And if we are not, man, we are no better than the unfaithful who are being cut up. And I would plead with you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. To answer the question, he says here, he talks about uh, to whom much is given, much will be required. To answer that question of what does the Lord require of you? Because often we're like, man, does, does the Lord require this much? Does he require, can I get by with this much? Like, so then we're like, how do I avoid the light beating? Like, I, I just want to make it into heaven. Even if it's like the ghetto part, that still sounds a whole lot better than hell, right? I, I don't, I don't want to go there. So if I can just whoop, weasel my way in, like, how do I get there? How, how do I know enough is enough? To answer this question of what does the Lord require of you, we must answer the question, what has the Lord bestowed upon you? And can I tell you this morning, church, we can look around, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about finances. I'm not talking about the places we live, the cars we drive, how much money we have in the bank. I'm talking about the fact that we have the completed word of God. We have a community of believers. You have pastors who love you and want to pour into you. You have neighbors and coworkers and family members who are lost Heck, we just had almost two whole years where most of us could work from home, where we didn't have to spend a couple of hours commuting to work. How did we fill that time? 
What are we doing with the money that we have? What are we doing with our treasure? What are, we, are we taking advantage of every single cent, every single dollar that we have? Are, are, we, are we giving from the margins? Or are we living from the margins because Christ is at the center of our lives? What are we doing with our time, our treasure, our talents? Is it for the sake of the kingdom? Because for many of us, if you've ever been on a mission trip, I've been on several mission trips. I love them. We lived in Africa for, for a year. When you're over there or when you're outside of your comfort zone, man, it's easy to be generous. It's easy to witness to the lost. It's easy to be bold. You're like, man, let's, let's, go, to a, let's go up to Decatur. We can go witness up there. It's like, okay, what about your neighbor that you see every single day? Are, are we being bold in our witness there? Or are we being faithful, good stewards with what's being placed right in front of us? I would plead with you, I don't, I don't want to affect your hands. I'm not saying, hey, do more, give more, act more, behave better. I'm saying, no, place Jesus at the center of your life. That's why you were created. It is from him that life flows. It is from him. And if you have Christ, you don't need anything else. Be ready for his soon return. Here, here are five truths that I want us to walk away with this morning. And my goal in this is that one or two of these would, would hit your heart. So how do we live this good life? We talked about that. The first reality is this, is that we cannot separate the kingdom of the future with how we are to live now. We cannot separate these two things. Uh, maybe a way of asking that question is, uh, is Jesus the king of your life even today? Or are you just looking forward to his kingdom? Because Jesus says here, my kingdom has already started. It's already been inaugurated. What, what does your life reflect? Does it reflect kingdom values? Or does it reflect the values of this world? Are, are you simply here in the earth? Are you a sojourner passing through? Or are you a citizen of the earth? Are you an exile looking forward to your permanent home? Or have you already paid for the extended stay plan? Are you a pilgrim here on earth, or is your permanence found here? There are not two separate kingdoms. Jesus says, step into my kingdom even today. Does your life reflect that? If I invited you to my house, and I said, hey, come on over. We got some delicious food for you, and you came over, and, and we fixed. One of my favorites to fix is easy. It's pretty consistent. Is a pork tenderloin. If you've been to my house at least once, oh yeah, we had that, okay? Shannon uh, makes a delicious one. She marinates it, throw it on the big green egg. It's awesome. But let's say I made you a pork tenderloin. And then I'm like, okay, dinner's ready. So you come out, I'm, here's the pork tenderloin. But guess what? I picked up some Chick-fil-A for us. And y'all enjoy the pork tenderloin. And you're like, hey, there's plenty. Yeah, there's plenty. I, I, I bought three. My family can kill one. You know, y'all, there's plenty. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what? Why are you not eating the pork tenderloin with us? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. You eat. You enjoy. It's, it's delicious. If I'm saying, yeah, 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 I'm living of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Yes, kids, we say we believe in Jesus, and they see us living this way. But mom and dad, all of your time, your talent, your treasures are being best invested in something else. What are they supposed to believe about us? You show up here on Sundays, you're like, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. I may even lift my, I may lift two hands. Like, it's, it's getting crazy. But then all throughout the week, if someone else were to look at your life, 
like, man, this, this seems so two-faced. And you know your heart. You know your soul better than I do. I can't, I can't walk around with you day in and day out. And even if I could, I still don't know what's happening in your mind, what's happening in your heart. Are we living in, are we living integrous, consistent lives? We're saying, yeah, yeah, I do believe in Jesus Christ. He is my king, and my life reflects kingdom values. I would also say this. How long have you been a Christian? Because for many of us, we, can, we, we look at our lives and we're like, yeah, I've been, a, I've been a Christian. Is your life becoming more and more like Christ? Is it looking more and more like his kingdom? Because Philippians 2 talks about Christ's sacrifice. He humbled himself to the point of death. He gave everything that he had. Those are the principles that he is building his kingdom upon. That is the king that we worship. If that is the king that we worship, does our life reflect that? There's not two separate kingdoms. Secondly, we're anxious about the wrong things and we're not urgent about the right things. And the wrong things, I would say, are these temporary, immediate things and the right things are the things of eternity, the things of heaven. And we talked about this some last week, but anxiety, worry, fear, selfishness, independence, these are not kingdom values and principles because the kingdom is based on peace, on love, on joy, on community. So which one of those kingdoms are you actually living in? Are you concerned with those around you? What would, you, what would your life indicate? I thought about doing this. I didn't want to because I don't want to freak anybody out. But if I walked in here this morning, I said, hey, welcome to South Point. Um, we're glad that y'all, man, we're just stoked y'all are here. But I've got, I got some real bad news for you. Hold on one second. The... Um, um, the, the roof contractor, he just called me. He said the roof is going to fall in in like 45 seconds. We probably need to evacuate. I just want to give you all a heads up. David, if you can come back up here and sing and play a little bit. You're like, I'm going to head out this way. You'd be like, um, your life, your actions, your attitude is not matching the words that you're saying, do you actually believe that the roof is about to fall in? Do you actually believe that? He was agreeing with me, not saying that he does, okay? <laughs> so who said that? <laughs> Forgiven. <laughs> You'd be like, man, that, that doesn't make sense. Does your life reflect that? Are you living with expectancy, with intentionality? Often, friends, the longer you are a believer, the less urgency you have. Thirdly, if we only live for joy on this earth, we will find ourselves perpetually unhappy. If we only live for joy in the here and now, for the blessing that this world offers, if you're, un if you're experiencing unhappiness right now, what are you hoping will make you happy? 
What are you looking forward to? Because you can walk in and say, I'm just, I'm just down. I'm just unhappy. I don't know. What are you hoping will make you happy? Because Jesus says here to seek his kingdom. Those are the ones who are going to be blessed. Those are the ones who are going to be happy. You're like, well, look, at, look at the apostle Paul. What happened? Was he happy? Man, he found joy in knowing Christ. What was Jesus doing right before he went to the cross? He was sweating drops of blood. I, I don't want to do that. But he knew the Father. He was one with him. And he was secure in the Father. That's, an, that's a happiness. That's a joy that most of us will never experience in this life. Because our vision is so clouded. Seek the kingdom. Our joy is connected to Christ's return. Our joy is connected to Christ's return. The fourth truth that we see in this passage is this. Repentance is stepping back into the kingdom, which will feel like life. So some of us this morning were like, man, okay, what's, what do I do first? Like, I, what, how do I need to start living? Can I, can I tell you, friend, this morning that for many of us, we need to repent of the things that are weighing us down so much. Consider this for a second. When, when you look at that image, that video on your phone, what does that feel like afterwards? Does it feel like life? Or does it feel like death? When you blow up at your wife or at your husband out of anger and rage, when you're done with that, are you like, life? Are you seeing flowers and unicorns and rainbows? Or does it feel like death to you? After you go spend even more money on Amazon because you're frustrated about the day, or after you go shovel food in your face so fast that you cannot even stand it because you just want to get over the thing, does it feel like life to you? Or does it feel like death? Because stepping back into the kingdom of God is going to bring life. You're like, man, what if, what if people know that I'm dealing with sin? Then they know it. <laughs> it's life in the kingdom. There's life in the presence of Jesus. Life is found there. And I'm not talking about penance. Penance is saying, okay, I guess I've got to. It's when we see sin. Oh, no. Oh, no. I was found out. That's penance. Repentance is saying, ooh, I get to. It's not just saying no to sin, but it's saying yes to Jesus. We run to life so I would plead with you, turn your back on the things that you're pursuing that are doing nothing but bringing death and run to the kingdom of life. In this passage, we see that there are, are grave consequences for those who reject Jesus. There are grave consequences. But for us this morning, there is an open invitation to walk with him in the kingdom. There is an open invitation to walk with Jesus Christ in life. Lastly, we all deserve the punishment of the wicked servant, but Jesus Christ died in our place. As a result of Jesus Christ dying in our place, that leads us to a life of boldness. It leads us to a life of generosity. It leads us to a life of sacrifice. Our, our motivation to live like this, if you look back at verse number 37, he says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. 
I say to you, he will dress himself for service. This is, this is Christ, and he'll have them recline at the table, and he will come, and he will serve them. Here the master comes, and he serves these servants. You, you know what's crazy is that, that we were like, oh, man, I, yeah, I want to be, be faithful. We know that we're not. And we can look at this and say, man, I want to I go my faithfulness. Absolutely. But even though we can identify best with the wicked servant, Jesus doesn't come and just make a table for us and say, here's some delicious food. Jesus became the bread of life. He sacrificed his own body. He sacrificed that. So the way we partake of this meal that we call communion, we're taking that bread and we're saying, Jesus, life was broken for us. So that when we taste it, when we ingest it in our body, we're reminded that it's in him that we can find our hope and our satisfaction. So he doesn't set a table for something else. For us as the wicked servant, he sets a table with himself on it so that we can experience life, even because of his death. If you look at verses 47 and 48, he says, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act according will receive a severe beating. It, that literally means will receive many blows. And if you look at the very next verse, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he'll receive a light beating. Even there, it means literally that this servant was worthy of stripes. The good news of the gospel is this, and we see it in Isaiah chapter 53, is that Jesus was beaten on our behalf. It's with his wounds, by his wounds, and with his stripes that he heals us, that he makes us whole. So when we take that sin, we take that selfishness, that idolatry, that isolation, that independence, that pornography, that materialism, that gossip, the lying, that anger. When we take those things, we can say, Jesus, take these, heal me of these things, forgive me of these things. And Jesus Christ has already been punished for those sins. He says, forgiven. Now step into the kingdom, find life in me. Live that life out of forgiveness if you look in verse 44, it says, truly, again, this is true. I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. This is extravagant love. In other words, when Christ returns, he doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to give you promotion. I'm, I'm going to promote you a little. No, he says, I'm going to adopt you as my own. You're going to be a ruler with me. Th this is extraordinary. Friends, this is not about merit. It's not about earning his favor, but it's about mercy. Because where did all of these good things come from in the first place? They came from Christ. He doesn't say to the servant, hey, go out and make some money. Hey, go earn a, a way to build me a house. Hey, go out and do these things. He says, I'm going to give you these things. I'm going to give you my power in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my grace in creation. I'm going to create you in my image. And even when you run from me, I'm going to go chase you down. And even though you deserve to be isolated, to be rejected, my son is going to be isolated and rejected on your behalf so that you can be accepted and loved and in relationship. Now live out of that relationship, not for that relationship. There is no fear that we are going to be condemned before Christ as we bring our sin to him. It's not Christ. Let me, let me turn from these things. And I hope you're not super angry with me in this. John 5 and verse number 24, Jesus actually says, truly, truly, there is no fear in condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I would plead with you, friend, that you would believe this today. 
that you would walk in this today, and this morning that you would sit at his table as his servant.